0: On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank, we give you the keys to the game for the Big 12 championship game, and we also preview OU Iowa State with Randy Peterson. No one has covered Iowa State football longer than Randy, so he brings a unique perspective. In the National College Football Roundup, we preview the rest of the Power 5 Conference Championship games. We give you our winners and losers of the week, and wet the beak with the AAC championship game between the Tulsa Golden Hurricane and Cincinnati. To finish up, with Wednesday being National Signing Day, we break down OU's 2021 recruiting class and keeping it local. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man Michael Hostie will kick this thing off It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Thursday, December 17th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank. First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs, checking accounts, savings accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank also provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. Now, we're recording this on Wednesday night. And, Teddy, I I am not going to lie. I feel like you. I feel like this has been the busiest week of my life. (laughs) They should never be allowed to put the Big 12 championship game and National Signing Day in the same week ever again. It should be banned.
1: Throw in a couple of podcasts. Throw in a Tuesday night Rudy's TV show. And all of a sudden, it's you don't know what to do with yourself, right? All Is, kinds of stuff. I, I, I
0: mean this seriously. Is this how you feel all the time? Pretty much every day.
1: Yeah. Pretty That's much. That's got to be
0: exhausting. And
1: a your dad did a flashback today uh, as well for the national championship game. Bob Stoops was on there. Ronaldo works. Roy Williams. T. Rowe. That was fun. Yeah. Um, and even right before we did the podcast or doing the podcast, got some time upstairs with the boy, uh, playing tanks. So there you go, man. A typical day.
0: You're a machine, man. I, I don't know if I'm built for the Teddy Layman life. I am. This well, is,
1: I can tell you, I am me. not built for the, I, I'm. I am not built for this life. So you don't want to be
0: well. We, we're going to make this one of our best episodes of the podcast because there is a ton of college football to talk about, and this is going to be very college football focused for this one. And, and we've got Randy Peterson from the Des Moines Register. He's covered Iowa State football longer than maybe any human being on planet Earth. So Randy brings a really unique perspective to what is going on in Ames. Just a reminder. It's not normal that Iowa State is playing for the Big 12 championship. That That's not normal. No. They're ranked number six in the country, Teddy.
1: What world are we living in? Uh, 2020, you know, oh, 2020. Here's what's crazy is they're, they're ranked number six in the country, and they have a loss to Louisiana. I mean, amazing. You know, and, and that says a lot about what a bunch of other teams have – you know, done this year. Yeah, you know, give credit. There's some teams that failed miserably in handling this pandemic and what comes with it. And there's some teams that knocked it absolutely out of the park. Um, Michigan, Penn State, everyone in the Big Ten uh, as a whole. Just it's that season's been a disaster. I mean, it really has. Indiana, obviously, Northwestern put together really good years, but you know, some teams did not handle this thing well. Players were not ready to play. Coaches didn't have guys ready. And I know there's a lot that goes into that. It's a pandemic. You don't know who's practicing, who's playing, but that has happened with everyone and some teams have navigated and others haven't done so well. So give Iowa State a ton of credit for being here.
0: Yeah. One of one of the weirdest, got it obviously the weirdest year ever in college football. But Iowa State's handled it beautifully. All right, let, let, let's get to let's get to the preview stuff. And uh, that's brought to you by Will and Wiley Hard Seltzer. Guys, stop acting like you're too manly and just accept it. Hard seltzers are amazing. There's only one hard seltzer that we drink on this podcast, and that is Will and Wiley Hard Seltzer from Works. It's perfect for any occasion. We drink it by the pool, at the lake, and at the tailgate. It's made in Oklahoma and it is absolutely delicious. Will and Wiley is customized for the Oklahoma lifestyle. Go find it right now in a store near you and go follow them on social media at at Will and Wiley. If you're drinking some because of us, tag us in your social media posts to let them know. Okay, so there's a lot going on right now uh, for the University of Oklahoma. Clearly, National Signing Day on Wednesday. We will get to that. We'll look at that class and keeping it local. But I wanted to start, just let's dive right into it and let's talk about this Big 12 championship game and – when we do the radio broadcast, Teddy, every time in pregame, you have your keys to the game. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on, what, what do you think, as we're sitting here Wednesday night, as Oklahoma's getting, to, getting ready for this football game, when Saturday morning rolls around, what do you think are a few things that you're going to be able to look at and you can say, okay, if Oklahoma does this, they have a great shot at winning the game because I think there's a handful of things that we can just narrow it down to between these two teams.
1: Yeah, I I don't think there's anything. uh, There's no doubt about that. And there's a couple of the keys. You know, it's really, the keys are no different than they typically are. It's just amplified because the game is bigger. But you've got to win the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. You said that last night on our our Tuesday night show, the the coaches show, and I think in this game it's critical. Now, y- you don't really know where you sit. We're coming off of a Baylor game where our offensive line didn't play well. If that continues and they don't have a good game against Jaquan Bailey, McDonald, this Iowa State, you know, not only do they have a good three-man rush, they have really good blitz schemes Well, they'll bring the entire house or they'll give the look that they're bringing everyone and, you know, pull different guys out. It's a tough system. If we don't protect uh, Spencer Rattler, it's going to be a long day. It's going to be a difficult uh, day. We cannot play the way we did against Baylor, against Iowa state. We'll lose their offense is too good. They've got too many weapons. They've got the leading rusher in the NCAA. They've got a weapon in Charlie Kohler. That is a mismatch for us. Uh, Xavier Hutchinson's played a lot better. So, um, you know, we have to be better offensively because of what they can do offensively. And on the flip side is what we've seen with our defensive line going to continue. And we've been way better since Ronnie Perkins came along. I think everyone, not just him, everyone's playing with more confidence. If they can be as disruptive as they've been the last two, three, four games, it's going to be a long day for Brock Purdy and Brees Hall. Brees, I think he hit us for about 135 in the first game. If our defensive line continues to play the way that they have, I don't think he approaches that number. So that's kind of the thing to watch. Uh, Does Iowa State get their running game going, and can they protect Brock Purdy? I mean, I think it's the same thing on both sides. Uh, that's, That's, you know, to me, biggest key. And the other thing is, Anytime you have a totally evenly matched football game, which I think this is, slight edge to Oklahoma, but incredibly evenly matched, you have to look at uh, the other factors. You have to look at penalties. You have to look at special teams. The last time we played this team, we had five pass interference calls that were huge in extending drives for them, putting them in scoring position, where they could put points on the board. We also gave up the massive uh, kickoff return, 85-yard kickoff return that really, you know, we had just taken momentum of the game that ripped it back into Iowa State's favor. You got to look at those things. Iowa State, number one in the league for penalties, least penalized team in the conference. We've got to win those two categories, in my opinion, in this close of a football game to win.
0: Yeah, I've got... Four pretty simple things I'm looking at, and I can't believe I'm going to do this, but I'm going to start on the defensive side of the ball for Oklahoma. I know. Look what you've done to me.
1: Look what you've done to me. Slowly but surely,
0: baby. But communicating and getting lined up on defense because Iowa State, unlike anyone else that Oklahoma sees this season, has seen this season, they are going – To challenge them again with personnel groupings, motions, shifts.
1: Oh, you have one other team. One other team. Take a guess who? Kansas State. Exactly. Which I mean, that's it's very telling, though. They struggled in both those games with the pre-staff adjustments.
0: So that is going to be a big challenge because you know Iowa State's been working on that stuff for weeks now right? Getting ready for this game. And I'm sure Oklahoma's defense has been getting ready for it as well. But if you're lined up, you have a chance. The most important thing on defense is getting lined up correctly and communicating the call. And if you get that done, OU's defense is more talented than Iowa State's offense. It's just true. They've got better players. But if they don't get lined up correctly, then they're going to give up big plays. And one of the things I, I went back and watched last game, I had kind of forgotten that period where OU's defense just could not tackle well. And, and that's the second thing I'm looking at. Can OU tackle well? Because there were all those missed tackles in the first game. When Brees Hall and Xavier Hutchinson and those tight ends get the ball on Saturday, does the defense get them on the ground? If, if OU's defensive line bottles up an inside zone run or one of the duo runs for Brees Hall and he bounces it to the outside, are Oklahoma's defensive backs there to make plays? Can they tackle in space one-on-one with Brees Hall? If they can, OU's going to win this game because if it becomes a talent matchup, OU's got the advantage. But you got to get lined up and you got to tackle well. This is like the most basic thing ever, but it's really the things when you go back and watch that first game that really stand out about what OU did defensively and then offensively for the Sooners, they have to win the battles at the line of scrimmage. Jaquan Bailey, Trell Bankston, Will McDonald, like these guys are solid players, especially Jaquan Bailey. I love that kid's game, but OU's offense – is predicated on running the ball efficiently and building everything else off of that. The play-action game, that's how they take the deep shots and the max protection. You have to run it well against this Iowa State team. If you don't run it well, if, you don't, if they don't feel threatened by the run, that significantly reduces your opportunities for big chunk plays in the passing game. And that's my fourth thing. Who is going to make big plays in the passing game? I don't know if there's a quarterback in the country right now playing with more confidence than Brock Purdy coming to this game. This looks like a different guy than we saw early in the season. And he, he is playing at a high, high level. Now, I still don't think they have a bunch of explosive playmakers at wide receiver, but they can do enough. When OU gets their opportunities on offense, when Iowa State gives them some favorable coverages, can they take the big shots down the field and can they connect? I think whoever can have big, explosive plays in the passing game is going to have a huge advantage in this one, Ted.
1: No, I, I agree 100%. 100%. You know, one of the things that you, you hit on I, I think is critical the tackling. And there's no doubt that we did not tackle well in that football game. And we've been way better since. Now I was watching the Iowa state offense against the Texas defense today. And I saw something that is really interesting and you don't see a whole lot of this anymore. And I like it because it's really simple. So they run some some zone scheme stuff, some inside zone, and Brees Hall's really good at cutting it all the way back and coming out the backside and turning that into a big chunk play. So what they've done off of that is they'll take their outside wide receiver on typically whenever you are running a crack, and crack for people that don't know is just when the wide receiver Comes in either off a of motion or usually a tight split. He comes into the box and blocks the first support player, usually the support safety. Okay, and whenever he does that, the corner in coverage is a crack replace, and he has to now be into the run fit. And your corners are your worst tacklers on the field. So if you can ever force them into the run fit, that's a win offensively. They crack on the backside of inside zone. The outside wide receiver from a normal split, when they run zone away from him, Brees Hall will cut it back and he'll come inside and crack those players that are trying to rock back and the corner's chasing. and Because it looks like maybe it's maybe a play action and he's got that guy over the top. And now the corner's out of position and he's got a one-on-one from a poor position to make a tackle on the leading rusher in the NCAA. I think it's a fantastic play scheme that they have and it does make you worry that our corners could be on islands with, with uh, Brees Hall if they don't figure out a, a, a decent scheme for that. So that's one of those things just to keep your eyes on where they're going to force our poor tacklers into one-on-ones with their best player.
2: That's just good
0: coaching, right? Mm-hmm. And I think Tom Manning has done a fantastic job as their offensive coordinator. It's like watching an NFL offense to me. With all the versatility they have, uh, uh, it's really impressive. Now, a, a guy that knows Iowa State football maybe better than anyone is Randy Peterson. He has been at the Des Moines Register forever, and we had the chance to sit down with Randy and talk about what this game means for Iowa State football and preview the matchup a little bit. And here's that interview with Randy Peterson. It is our pleasure to be joined by the columnist at the Des Moines Register. He's been there since 1972. No human being on planet Earth has covered more Iowa State football games than Randy Peterson. Randy, how's it going, man?
2: I'm doing good. How about you guys? What an introduction! I don't, I don't know whether that's that you're saying I'm old or or, or what, but uh, you're anyways. seasoned.
1: We're saying you know more seasoned. about there Iowa you, State football than anyone out there.
2: There you go, seasoned. Okay, I got you. Okay, I'm good. How about you guys?
0: Uh, doing well, Randy. Now, good. before we dive into some of the specifics about Iowa State's team offensively and defensively, I did want to ask you. Uh, you you've been covering the Cyclones for a long, long time, and they are ranked number six in the country heading into championship weekend. They are playing in the Big 12 championship game, even as good as Matt Campbell is. Did you ever think that you were going to see something like this from this program?
2: To be honest with you, after the, after the first couple of years, yeah, I did. I did because because of Matt Campbell, I believed in Matt Campbell's vision. I knew the type of players he was getting to commit to Iowa state and all he had when he came, all he had to sell was, let's see, we went three and nine the year before I got here. And I pretty much guarantee you we'll go better than that. But, but that's all he had to sell. He had to sell hope. He had to sell a vision. And one of my best friends in the business one of my best friends in life is Terry Allen, the former Kansas coach whose son plays for Iowa as a tight end for Iowa State, Chase Allen. And Terry told me, right. And Chase was among his son. Terry's son was among Matt Campbell's first recruits, if not the first recruit. Terry told me, he said, just keep an eye on this Iowa state program. He said, keep an eye on it. It's going to go places. And, and, I believed, you know, I believed in, in Terry because he'd, he'd been around, he, he knows the game. Um, and he was right. I believed it in Terry. And then once I saw the kind of player that Campbell started getting in, the culture of Iowa State football changing, um, whether it be, you know, you, you talk to players and on the record, on the record, players were saying that there's no more clicks there's no more, there's no more um, groups hanging out together. Everybody is, is, is pre-pandemic. Everybody was, 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 you know, hanging out with the team, not, not in, in, in little clickies, in little clickies groups. There were no um, um, separation in the locker room or, 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 you know, any favoritism or anything like that. So he recruited better players and got the, the culture changed. And that, yeah, I was, I was pretty much a believer right from the very beginning.
1: Well, you know, they've, they've steadily gotten better year in and year out. And it started defensively. And, you know, you could see early on that this team was going to be different defensively. They're going to do some different things. Um, you know, the philosophy kind of take away the big play, keep everything in front of us. And we'll be able to have a chance to fight in some of these football games. And it wasn't great at first, but they kept getting better at it and better at it and better at it. And now when you look at zone coverage and in college football, zone coverage has really diminished. And it all happened because of the RPO. And you, there's a lot of things that you really can't do anymore because of that. But Iowa State is one of the teams that still plays zone coverage really well you see the way their underneath backers play, they spread the net, they tackle well, they keep everything in front of them and for me it's been a joy to watch, but I mean the development of this defense, I know Campbell gets a lot of the credit, but Heacock's done a brilliant job with that group.
2: There's a reason that the teams have come after him over the years. Oklahoma came after him maybe 3 years ago, something something sometime like that. Oklahoma came after him, and he said no to Oklahoma. That he's staying at Iowa State. Um, he's, he, you know, he'd worked with Campbell. They'd worked together for a lot of years, and they still had more to accomplish um, at, at at Iowa State. They, as you guys know, they 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 perfected, and, and I I don't use that term lightly. They perfected the three man front. They had they had coaches, defensive coordinators from all over. Coming in during the off seasons to see what the heck's going on here, um, what are they doing? Just just to just to look at it, just to to pick Haycock's brain. Um, and as as they've gone on, uh, uh, they've had to they've had to tweak because the offensive coordinators they're no dummies. They're getting used to the three man front. They they're they're figuring out ways to beat it. Well, Haycock and his guys they had to change with it as uh, during the infancy of the of the three man front iowa state i guess i guess i wouldn't i guess you'd, you'd say iowa state was not a team that would threaten to sack the quarterback a lot they they pretty much would contain the line of scrimmage but they but they wouldn't they weren't getting in the backfield and and, and sacking the quarterback now iowa state's among if not, I don't know if I haven't looked at the stats lately, but but at one point late in the season, Iowa State led the Big 12 in, in quarterback sacks. So that's just one, one area where the defense has 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 changed because like I said, they've had to they've had to change some things just to, to keep up with the the way the offensive coordinators have 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 um, have been changing to adapt to Iowa state's defense, but it, it's not just alignment. It's the linebackers. I defy anybody to tell me that there's a better linebacker in the big 12 than, than Mike Rose. And there are good linebackers in the big 12. I get it. But Mike Rose is, is, is off the charts and, and watching Iowa state play defense. It's kind of, it, it's fun watching Iowa state play defense. It's, it's, it's fun watching any good offense play. I mean, that's that's kind of cool. That's kind of like watching a a well oiled basketball team um, um, play. But watching Iowa State's defense, watching the plays they make, it's they're fun to watch. They're entertaining. So, so yeah, Haycock's done a, done a wonderful job with that with that unit.
0: Randy, looking looking at that defense, right there, there were some big time players coming back for them this year Jaquan Bailey you mentioned Mike Rose but ha- have you seen any other guys on that side of the def- uh, on that side of the ball that have really emerged as playmakers for them heading into this Big 12 championship game
2: well there's a, a red sophomore Aishim Young who's playing pretty good ball right now actually in the first in the first OU game he's the one that intercepted a pass in the end zone um, to, in, to essentially in 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 the game he's been playing very well and he's young um will mcdonald a converted linebacker playing defensive end i believe he leads the big 12 in sacks he does okay this guy is a beast he is i don't think he knows how good he can be and i know campbell doesn't know how good this kid can be he's he he just transitioned from linebacker he got he got so big and strong that, that he's now a defensive end. Um, This kid is just scratching, scratching the surface. He's a, he's a definite pro at some point. Um, So those are some guys, um, Greg Isworth, a safety he's, he's been playing very well. Um, So they've, and they've got depth on the defense um, like I said, the linebackers with a Vance and, and, and Jake Hummel, along with Mike Rose, that's that's been a, a unit. And, and Iowa State hasn't had horrible
1: linebackers anyway.
2: Um, Jake, not AJ Klein, some of those guys of the past.
1: Um, yeah, I German feel like had, I've been watching Mike Rose for ten years. With I know exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's,
2: he's been around, and it's interesting that that he shares he shares a house with. And I don't know I don't know why this is interesting, but it is to me. He shares a house with Brock Purdy and and Brees Hall, so it's 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 uh, better protect that house. I know yeah, exactly, and I have asked. House better have
0: security, Randy.
2: No, well, how about the uh, well, contact yeah, but, tracing? But what about the coronavirus? There you go. Yeah, what about the coronavirus? Um, you yeah, know, we can get to that later because this team's been off the charts there too. But but yeah, I mean, it, it's a big it's a big house. They've each got their own room. They it's a huge living room from my what I understand three bedroom three baths. So, I mean, they're essentially quarantined in their own in their own house. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I'd like to be a, a, a fly on that wall sometime in the wall there sometimes. But um, yeah, and it's it's a it's a aside from Jaquan. Um, um, uh, one of the uh, Hummel, the linebacker, um, Eisworth, the safety. It's a it's a young defense as well. So um, as good as Iowa State is this year, they I, they've got the potential to be even better next year. And that's just, that doesn't even include the, the seniors that if, if they decide to come back.
1: Uh, offensively has uh, been interesting this year. You know, I I really liked what I saw from Brees Hall last year but didn't expect him to have the year he's having lead the NCAA in rushing. Uh, They've been creative in some different ways. They're giving him the football. Uh, Brock Purdy, it seems like, kind of stumbled out of the Mm -hmm. gate a little bit and just wasn't clicking after leading the Big 12 in passing last year. Expected huge numbers from him, but it looks like he's really come to life uh, down the stretch here and playing some of his best football, and this offense is really starting to hit their full stride
2: yeah i i' just looking at my I, I took down some notes here um purdy since since the o u game or since since uh, yeah since the o u game he's one hundred and forty out of two fourteen about sixty six percent completion six hundred and sixty two yards he's also rushed for two hundred and seventy one yards yes i agree uh he was throwing early in the season he was throwing off his back foot he just didn't look comfortable out there. And I believe a lot of that had to do with a couple of the receivers, his go-to guys being gone from the previous season. Um, and then to, to top it off, the All-American um, – all-American – preseason All-American tight end Charlie Kohler, he missed the first couple of games because he had a leg injury. So, so as you guys know, when you're a quarterback, you've got to feel comfortable with your guys. I mean – I mean, you guys feel comfortable with it, with each other, I presume, and and so you've got to. You know, quarterbacks have to be comfortable with their guys, and it took Brock Purdy a few games to get used to throwing to receivers, who he wasn't exactly used to throwing to. But but as it's gone on, like I said, since the OU game, he has been off the charts good. So I I
0: looked at something because I, I went back and looked at what he did after he had that horrible first half against Baylor, right? He, he throws the three interceptions against Baylor. Yep. And the 14 quarters since then, Brock Purdy has completed 77% of his passes for 903 yards, 10 touchdowns, no interceptions. There has not been a quarterback in the last month that is playing better football than him. So and that's, nationally. that's
2: what,
0: he, yeah. Yeah. He's yeah, been fantastic.
2: And we, and we would bring it up to Matt Campbell every once in a while during, during press conferences earlier, this, early in the season. We, you know, we'd say Brock's not looking like himself. He wasn't throwing the ball. Well, They looked uncomfortable. Like I alluded to, he wasn't tucking and running. He wasn't doing his fake thing that, that he can do as well as anybody. He just looked very uncomfortable and, 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 Matt got real defensive, not to the point where he got mad at us, but he just got really defensive um, as far as as far as sticking up for Brock. And then he would say, he would say, "Just wait, you just wait. You don't think he's you don't think he's playing at his best right now? Just just wait a few games and see what happens." I think I I believe this guys. This is just this was the way that this season was going to be. Um, Matt Campbell and his staff were ultra careful about how during the preseason about how they navigated the the coronavirus, the mitigation. They didn't practice eleven on eleven until just a few days before before the Louisiana game. So you wonder why they looked horrible against Louisiana? Maybe that's a reason. But but um Campbell knew this was going to happen. They, they just – he was so – he needed to, 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 you know, to, to preserve the, the health of the players first, and that was the way they did it. That's the way he chose to do it. He knew there would be some hiccups along the way, but he was in it for the long haul. He was in it to, to make sure that the players would stay healthy. And, by golly, Iowa State has been as healthy from the coronavirus standpoint a team as there is in the country. Um, I don't know of a of a of a significant player that's missed a game. I, I I guarantee you, there's not been a significant player miss a game because of the coronavirus. They had some 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 cases during the preseason, during the the during the summer, but and I've talked to doc to the to the team doctors. They feel, they think that the guys brought it with them from wherever they came. You know during the wherever they they hung out during the offseason. They think they br- probably brought it with them. But once the season started, they have had absolutely nothing. And, and that's, that's just been the whole thing. So, so they, they, they started slow with the season because of the mitigation of the coronavirus, and that affected Purdy as well, I think.
1: Yeah. I think one of the things that's interesting about Purdy is always here when people criticize him, well, he turns the football over too much. And it's funny when you dig into it, he's got less turnovers than Spencer Rattler does. So it's just, it's, it's fascinating whenever you actually dig into it, but whenever you look at this game, turnovers definitely going to be a factor. What are some of the things in your opinion that have to happen for Iowa state to be able to get their first big 12 championship?
2: Well, I think it's going to start with, with Rattler's playing Rattler's playing good ball right now, as well as birdies playing Rattler. looks like he's playing pretty good too. Um, and Iowa state's, Achilles heel all season has been um, quarterbacks passing over the top of the defense. So that could be a problem. Iowa State hasn't been able to defend that very well at all. I don't care who, who the opposition is. So Iowa State has to be wary of that. Um, they can't give up. Special teams has been a problem also, um, whether it be a kicking game, which Iowa State's not very good at. If it comes down to a kicking game, Iowa State could be in trouble. Um but and Iowa State early in the season gave up huge runs, like in the Louisiana game. Louisiana returned a kickoff for a touchdown. Louisiana returned a punt for a touchdown. Um, and once again, you can go back to saying that Iowa State didn't practice eleven on eleven before the game. But but be that as it may, Iowa State's got to be careful there too with the special teams. Um, and, and as far as as far as um, Brees Hall, he's he's going to be he's rushing against maybe. A rush def- a defense is playing against the rush as well as anybody in the country right now. I think I looked at the stats, and Oklahoma is giving up 85 yards a game rushing, something something along those lines. Um, and I know that there's there's a couple of guys playing for Oklahoma on Saturday that did not play in the first in the first time they met on October 3rd. So I think Iowa State's going to have to rush it, and not, they can't give up big plays on defense or in the passing game.
0: Randy, you you look at. And there's obviously a lot of talk about Brees Hall, a lot of talk about Purdy. And I, I, by the way, I think Brees Hall should win the Doak Walker Award. Uh, I don't think oh, there's yeah. any question yeah. about that. But these tight ends, uh, they make it so difficult for opponents. You've got Allen. You've got Kohler. You've got Saner. I don't know what his status is for the game. I know he's been beat up. But – what did those tight ends bring to this offense? And how has Matt Campbell and Tom Manning how have they utilized those guys to make it really difficult on big 12 defenses because they don't see those types of personnel groupings that often.
2: What they, they, they create mismatches. Number one, especially in the red zone, they're six, 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 seven, six, seven. And Sainer's not going to play by the way. Um, and in the, in the first OU game, he threw a pass. Um, was yeah, tight, Allen. tight end to tight, tight end pass <laughs> to Chase, yeah. Tight end to tight end pass. and Charlie Kohler was pissed. Oh my god, because he wanted to he wanted he was hoping to be the quarterback on that play, but he wasn't. But um be that as it may, um they create they create mismatches, especially in the red zone. I mean it it's Purdy's gonna throw a jump ball to either Chase Allen or or usually Charlie Kohler, and invariably they're gonna go up and get it. Um they use before Dylan Sainer got hurt, I would say a third of the plays, and Teddy, you may know this. You, you, you delve into this stuff more than I do. But I would guess a third of the plays, offensive plays, Iowa State had three tight ends on the field at the same time. I mean, that's, that's unheard of, especially at Iowa State. when When Campbell and the guys got there, there were no tight ends on scholarship. So that's how that position has evolved. But they use them, they spread them out as wide receivers, they use them as blockers, they use them as fullbacks, they use them in the slot. And as I said, they use them in mismatch situations in the red zone. I think when Matt Campbell looks for a tight end, they look for they look for a a large-sized athletic wide receiver. And then they he morphs them into a tight end, kind of like what they did with Charlie Kohler. Charlie Kohler was a wide receiver in Norman, Oklahoma, um, and and turned him into into a um, a tight end. Chase Allen was a wide receiver in in a small high school in Nixon, Missouri. He was he was a wide receiver, and they made him a tight end, a very good tight end. So so they get the, they get the, the athletic guys. And and big athletic guys and 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 the like the like Campbell and his staff do with the whole program they turn they turn and 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 Brees Hall alluded to this after the after the Texas game they sort of in this fashion they they turn three star guys into into tight ends that are that are you know that that could play in the NFL someday. And as Brice, what Brees said after the after the Texas game was that um, we've got, you know, some teams have five-star – something like this. Some teams have five-star players. We have five-star culture. So um, – and that's, that's, that's been Iowa State's deal.
1: Which is a great statement, by the way. All right. Um, give us a prediction, Randy. you going to see your first conference championship from Iowa State since you've been covering the team. How do you score this one? Oh, and – they're wearing the all black unis. They're up I was just going to say that,
2: just gonna say that Iowa State's going to be all black. So, yeah, Iowa State wins. Iowa State somehow wins in overtime. I don't know how. Um, but it's going to be, you know, it'll be a close game. I mean, Iowa State almost won at OU last year 42 um, 41. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they went for, t- Campbell went for two points. God love him. Went for a conversion. They uh, could have tied up, but they went for the two point conversion. Yeah, so I, it's, I, I look for – once Iowa State gets its jitters out of the way in the first possession or so, I think it's going to settle into to be a very close game, and, and it would not surprise me if Iowa State won a close game.
0: Randy, no one knows Iowa State better. No one's covered it for longer. We really appreciate the time, man.
2: All right, guys, anytime. Thank you very much. Be safe. Thanks, Randy.
0: Always a lot of fun. Catching up with Randy Peterson, Teddy. That, that guy knows some Iowa State football.
1: You got to go deep in the weeds to figure out someone and find someone that knows as much about Iowa State football as he does. That's fantastic.
0: Yeah. All right, Ted, let's move on to Call Your Shot. That's brought to you by Rock and Roll Tequila. Rock and Roll Tequila is the ultra-premium tequila that hits all the right notes. It's won all kinds of awards for its superior taste and smooth finish. To find a store that has it, visit rockandrolltequila.com or check out their Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. This stuff is fantastic. If you don't want to take my word for it, maybe you'll listen to this guy.
2: This is Coach Bob Stoops. When you're a college football coach,
0: it's important to have an eye for talent. The same holds true when choosing your tequila. When I tried rock and roll, I liked it so much, I decided to become a partner in this Oklahoma-owned company. Crafted in the highlands of Jalisco, Mexico, the smooth taste of rock and roll's triple distilled platinum, our añejo called Cristalino, and the incredible premium quality mango tequila are awesome. Our defiantly unique guitar-shaped bottles make it easy to find, and you'll love the ultra-premium
1: quality and taste. No excuses. Make rock and roll your game-day tequila. Tastefully rebellious? Start the party with rock and roll.
0: And we asked for your boldest prediction for the Big 12 Championship game, and our favorite comes from Deviney at Dad Bod Deviney on Twitter. <laughs> what a great Twitter handle! Love it. Uh, Dad Bod Diviney says, "Short and simple. OU 31-28. Gabe makes a big field goal late in the game. I don't think he's talking about me, Ted. Uh, Teddy. I hope not. You know what I?" I could do it depending on how far, how far, I think I still got it. I may tear a hamstring doing it, but we've seen Gabe Burkich. you know, he's missed some more kicks this year. He hasn't been perfect like he was last season, but we've talked about how close these two teams feel heading into this game. Will you be okay, like physically all right, if this game comes down to field goal
1: kicking? If he makes it, I'll be physically okay. <laughs> I mean, I. if he misses it, I'll be upset. But, you know, that's just – that's how the game goes. Unfortunately, sometimes it comes down to a guy that is just a fringe part of the team. That's just the game that we're, we're left with here, Gabe. But I do think it's going to be that type of game. I do think it's going to be that close. I think it's going to be a one-score game. Is it a late field goal? Is it a a late drive, down four? You've got to score a touchdown. I do think that's the type of game we're talking about. Now, you know, you never know. I think Oklahoma is the more talented team across the board. Deeper, um, you know, some people may take Purdy over Rattler because of experience. I wouldn't because of playmaking ability. Our receivers, I think, are better. I think Stogner being out is a big factor. But, you know, if other than that, man, if you go position by position and compare these groups, it's incredibly tight. So I do think the game is, is going to come down to probably a big special teams play or uh, some type of play like that that you, you really can't account for. And uh, that, that would not be surprising. I don't think – I can't think of a time in recent memory we've had a walk-off field goal.
0: I don't want that to happen. I don't want that stress on us. I don't want that stress on all of you fans. Gosh, that would be – Oh, uh, I That's hate,
1: fun, though, man. I
0: hate when games come down to field goals. I want it to be like, okay, you have one play from the two-yard line, games on the line type situation. I'll take that every time over a field goal. But it, it does make for great drama. in
1: college football. Oh. In college football, I mean, you cannot trust college kickers at all.
0: Yeah, but I do kind of like our man, Dadbot Diviney. Uh,
1: I kind of like the 28. score prediction. 31-28. Yeah. I, I think, I that's think it's going to be right. in that range. I agree. I agree. All right, Ted, let's move on
0: to the National College Football Roundup, and that's brought to you by Insurica. Do you own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client and you should be too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at insurica.com. That's I N S U R I C A.com. Okay. One quick thing about college football news before we preview the rest of the power five conference championship games comes out on Wednesday. K state will be opting out of playing in a bowl game. The Wildcats have had a ton of coronavirus issues lately, so they have just decided they have had enough, so they will not be making a bull trip. And then Virginia Tech doing the same, uh, and they recently retained Justin Fuente as their head coach. By the way, I don't know who decided to put those emails out in the order that they put him out, but they probably should have flipped that because everyone thought he was getting fired. And then they were like, no, 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 there's going to be a press conference with Fuente the next day. What a bizarre sequence. But, <laughs> uh, and he said it, it's what their players voted to do. Took a vote, and it's what they wanted to do. And it ends a 27-year streak for the Hokies going to a bowl game, Ted. That's a, that's a really rough way for a cool streak to end.
1: That – uh, that's – I don't know how to take that. Um, a couple of things. K-State opting out, they've had a ton of issues. I understand that. But how has everyone on that football team not had COVID five times over by this point in the season, right? I mean – Unless they're like one guy gets it and they erase their whole team for contact tracing, it's crazy because it's been like this weekly for Kansas State the whole year. Started, you know, the first game of the season. Um, That's number one. Number two, I don't know how to take this for Virginia Tech. Um, I know it's been a brutal year. And when faced with it, most football players, most competitors will say, let's end this thing on a win. Let's go Let's go get a bowl game. You know, let's when Given the choice to vote, right? I mean, that's the thing. Whenever you're given the choice to vote, that's typically the way it would, would go because you don't want to be the guy when everyone else voted to stay. The, the one guy go.
0: raising his hand to not right. play. Oh, oh, I, I, I didn't mean it.
1: So I don't know if this says – something about what they think about their coach or if they are just fed up with the protocols and everything that goes into it and ready to just be done with this season. And if they're ready to just be done with this season, then I have to think that that is a big majority of college football teams that are in their situation that won't be playing in like a New Year's 6 type of game. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I, now not all the teams across college football is having the has the coaching situation that Virginia Tech uh, currently went through with that whole Justin Fuente saga. But I do think a lot of players, if you just had them take a vote, and maybe we see this from more teams, but I think guys are exhausted. Man, Uh, I think they're tired of all the protocols. They're tired of having to stay away from everyone. Uh, they're probably a little tired of each other, if we're being honest. And
1: I was about to say, you know, I I bet the coaches uh anonymously would vote the same way.
0: Uh, you know? <laughs> no doubt. Uh, just a reminder, this season is not what any of these people signed up for.
1: Uh, right. No, all. I agree.
0: Okay, Ted, let's preview uh the rest of the Power Five Conference Championship games and let's start where it just means more. And I have number one Alabama taking on number seven Florida. And I, I feel like, what's Will Ferrell's character's name in Zoolander? I, I think it's like Magatu, right? Yes, Where he's like, that's right. I feel like I'm on crazy pills. <laughs> okay, I know it was foggy, but we all saw Florida lose to LSU, right? Like, I'm not crazy. Yeah. That happened, correct?
1: Oh, that happened. All right. Yes. So how and you can't blame it on a shoe toss either. Sorry, I mean that was a factor, but you know they, they lost.
0: How the hell did they only drop to number seven?
1: I I hope my silence tells you my I, there's no answer for that. I just I don't understand.
0: I I I don't get it. Okay, uh, that doesn't have much to do with the preview of the game, but it's it's weird. Frankly, I think it's bullshit, but it it is it is weird. I saw that and I was like, huh. I was like a dog, you know. When it when your dog like you you make a weird sound to your dog and the dog just like tilts his head,s like, what's going on here? That's what I did when that when they showed up at number seven on
1: Tuesday night. I was like, what? It's, it's horrible. It's and I'll I'll have more to say about this when we get into our winners and losers, but. It is horrible.
0: Okay. Ooh, I like that. Nice little tease there. Look at you. (laughs) All right, but this game, Alabama's defense has started playing really well. Florida's defense is a liability. And last time I checked, Bama's got an unbelievable amount of offensive weapons to exploit that Florida defense. It feels like the Crimson Tide will score at will in this game. Maybe Devontae Smith wins the Heisman Trophy in this game. We'll see if he can make enough explosive plays, but we're expecting Kyle Pitts back for this game. So Kyle Trask will have his go-to guy. It'll be good to see the best tight end in college football back out there. But Teddy, I, I, I've tried to think of any way I could see Florida winning this game or even making it close and I just can't see it. They can't run the football, so it's not like they can shorten the game and keep Alabama on the sideline. They're not good defensively. I I, I don't see a way Alabama just doesn't roll them.
1: I mean, I, I agree. You never know in a one-game scenario, but, you know, you could say that, well, Alabama's going to come into this game after watching Florida lose to LSU and maybe – be on cruise control instead of being absolutely locked in well that would maybe be the case if their head coach was not one of the most psychotic people ever to walk the face of the planet so uh, I don't think that that's likely they're going to be on edge they're going to be ready to play and plain and simple they're just way too good on both sides of the ball and I, I just I can't see I see Florida making some big plays, hitting on some, a couple of things, you know, scoring some points, uh, maybe to, to play tennis early in this football game against Alabama, but Alabama's just going to keep going. They're not going to be able to stop them. And Alabama's defense is – it looks like their defense is not excellent because their offense is so good, but Alabama's defense is excellent and it has excellent players on it, and it's coached really well. Florida is going to get stopped. They're going to get turned over, and Alabama's going to win the football game. I'd be shocked if they didn't win it by 17 or more.
0: I'm with you. I think that's exactly uh, where this game is headed. I, I, Alabama's just a machine right now, man. They're absolutely a machine. Okay, let's move on to the Big Ten championship game. Uh, That's number 14, Northwestern, against Teddy's favorite team, number four, Ohio State. And the, the real question in this game is, can the Northwestern defense do it? Can they force Justin Fields and the Buckeyes to turn the football over because they have been great at that so far this season, and they're going to have to do it again and again, to have a chance in this football game. It's, it's no secret that Ohio State has significantly more talent than Northwestern, and we'll see if Northwestern can prevent explosive plays from Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. While I think Ohio State, when you look at them defensively, I do think that secondary continues to be the vulnerability of that group. I just don't know if Peyton Ramsey and that receiver core from Northwestern can threaten them enough with big plays in the passing game. It's not something that they've done a lot of this season. I I got a feeling, Teddy, that you would like to see Ohio State slip up in this football game, but I don't think it's very realistic. While I do think Northwestern could make it ugly and make it – a win for Ohio State that doesn't necessarily look that impressive?
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, I would love for Ohio State to lose this thing. I would love for Northwestern to get the upset of the ages in uh, the fraud of a Big Ten championship game. But, unfortunately, the football gods are the cruelest group of bastards ever assembled because, let me tell you something, Northwestern – It has been put into a game against an opponent that should not be there, against an opponent that everyone – well, not everyone, but anyone with a soul says should not be in the college football playoff. Ohio State hears that. So what do they feel like they've got to do? They have to prove something, prove their worth in this football game and the last time they played in a Big Ten championship that had a similar feel to it was against a really good Wisconsin team, and I think they won that game like 55-6 to six or something like that. Yeah. So They have a lot of good players. A lot a of lot. good players that have something to prove that probably feel like the country's talking about them like they don't deserve to be in the – playoff and they're going to say you don't think we should be here watch this
0: i guess if you're a northwestern fan you could spin it the other way you where you could go ohio state's players they're all going to be pressing they're all going to be trying to do too much they're not just going to take care of their responsibilities they're going to try to do everything and we shall win now only a nerd from northwestern would think that way because ohio state probably going to roll them but It would be a lot more entertaining for me and for us because I would love to hear you come on here after this game and talk about it. If Northwestern could keep this one close and make it a little ugly, I I would just love... I'll
1: storm the field from here, from (laughs) Oklahoma. I will storm the field from Oklahoma if Northwestern wins that football game.
0: That'll be... I I, I don't think that's happening, but I would like them. To make it close to where the college football playoff committee is just squirming because you know they're like, "Oh my gosh, Ohio State! Please just blow them out!" Please just three
1: turnovers, fields looks terrible. Yeah, that would be great. That would be great. I'm all for essentially the Indiana game all over again, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That game all over again, where Indiana has a chance to go down and score and tie it late. that if Northwestern did the same thing that would be that would put Ohio State in a tough spot
0: yeah that would be fun I really want that to happen now just because I want to hear you talk about it (laughs) okay let's move on to what I think is the biggest game in the history of this conference Uh, I don't think that's an overstatement and that is number three Clemson against number two Notre Dame in the ACC championship game and this is the game I'm most excited for Clemson is going to essentially have all the guys that missed that first matchup. They'll have James Skalski. They'll have Tyler Davis. They'll have who Mike Jones. Gosh, that never gets old by the way. (laughs) And of course they will have Trevor Lawrence. Now that Notre Dame defense is going to want to send Clark Lee out in style. Remember he took the Vanderbilt job, right? But he's going to roll with them till the season's over. They're going to want to play well for that guy, but I feel like people aren't giving Ian Book and Kyron Williams and the Notre Dame offense enough respect going into this one. But also part of me thinks that maybe that lack of respect is valid because they don't have the same O-line, right? They've had to shuffle that group. They've had two guys go down uh, from that line when they pushed Clemson around in South Bend. So it is different. I'm less confident that they'll be able to control things up front in this game because they're missing O-linemen, and Clemson has added players in the front seven back to their group. So that that is going to be an interesting battle in this one. But here's a little here's a little nugget for you, Ted. Something to remember. First matchup between these two teams, there were eight field goals kicked. So if you're talking about One situation, when when we talk about situational football, one thing to keep a close eye on, who converts in the red zone? Who can score touchdowns instead of kicking field goals? Will Trevor Lawrence be able to do that for Clemson? I I don't know. I think Clemson's going to win this game, but I don't think it's going to be some blowout, which is what, for some reason, a lot of people think that that's how this one's going to go.
1: A lot of good points, uh, and I agree with pretty much everything you're saying. I, Ian Book's been really good lately. He's made a ton of plays with his legs. He's and, so um, much
0: more athletic than I remember. Like, I don't remember him being that athletic, and now every time I uh, watch him, I'm like, look at him go.
1: He looks really good out there. He's making a lot of really good plays, and I'll just tell you right now, Clemson's defense is vulnerable to, to a quarterback that can scramble around like that and make those type of plays. So, I am interested to see how this thing plays out. And you're right about the offensive line. Although, if I know anything about Notre Dame's offensive line, they've got 15 uh, just killers ready to stroll in and, and start playing guard for them. They so just
0: roll them out now, man. They do. That, they do. That's a factory. So,
1: I mean, I, here's what I worry about I worry that everyone and their dog keeps talking about it doesn't matter what happens in this game. Notre Dame's in regardless. And when that happens, I think it's hard for a team to tune that out and show up and play their absolute best football as if their life depends on it. I was in a similar situation when I was playing for Oklahoma in 2003 We were undefeated. We were playing the best football of the season. We were a machine. And we were the number one team in the country. People are saying, oh, this is the best college football team ever. And it doesn't even matter if they win this game. They're still going to the national championship. That went on for a week. Well, guess what? A team showed up. Laid an egg, looked god-awful against Kansas State and got whipped. So I feel like Notre Dame is in a similar situation right now, and I don't know how they'll respond. Maybe they'll respond a hell of a lot better than we did, but it is a weird situation to be in.
0: How badly would they have to get beat to drop out of the to drop out of the college football playoff? it it would have to be like a 56 to 7 type situation
1: right which i mean is last time they played not this season but before was was similar to that so yeah it, i guess it really depends what happens behind them you know does, does Iowa State beat Oklahoma handily from that 6 spot i mean you know Texas A&M right. crushed Tennessee i mean i I don't know. I, I just find it hard to a, believe
0: that people are like, it doesn't matter what happens. Well, if they give up seventy points, yeah, like that matters. <laughs> like if that yeah. happens, it, it, it's not like that. It's impossible for them to fall out of the top four. I I don't think that's going to happen, but it's just an interesting thing to think about. We'll, we'll see. Is that the game you're most excited about? Because I know that's the one for me.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that's that's the most exciting other than the OU game of course yeah I'm excited to see Alabama and see what if if that machine just keeps on ticking because right now it looks like it's Alabama about 15 spaces and everyone else so I'm I'm anxious to see if that that continues to look that way
0: yeah and and one more game that is so exciting that there's so much buzz around it They stuck it on Friday night, Ted, and that is the Pac-12 championship game, which will be Oregon and USC, if you have not seen the recent updates and you're like, I thought it was Washington and USC. Uh, It was, but things have changed. Uh, Washington's entire offensive line could not play uh, because of the Rona, so the Pac-12 put Oregon in their place, which I, I really don't have a problem with because Those two teams were supposed to play to earn a spot in this game anyways, and they couldn't play because of Washington. So uh, I'm fine with Oregon being in it. This is about as unexciting as a conference championship game can be. Uh, I mean, I I don't know what else to say other than that. I I do think it could be a fun game. I'm hoping it turns into a shootout. I hope that they're – are a ton of points scored because really neither defense is great, but there are some talented offensive weapons for both teams in this game. Keaton Slovis, he is a guy that a lot of people are start are starting to talk about next year's NFL draft, him being one of the first guys off the board for that, but he's got St. Brown, Vaughn's, uh, the London kid that made all those big plays in their last game, and then – you look at Oregon, and although the kid's name is spelled S-H-O-U-G-H, somehow it's pronounced Shuck. I don't know how. It, it makes no sense, and I hate it, but he's got a couple good backs, uh, Die and Verdell. A lot of people remember Verdell uh, from last year. But, Teddy, all I want is all the points. Give me all the points. This game doesn't matter. At least make it entertaining, guys. That, that's all I want.
1: I'm with you. Um, I mean, USC, if they win this game and win it convincingly, convincingly, has to be just beyond furious about their plight whenever they sit there and have to watch Ohio State be you know, right there in the, in the top four. But in no way do they deserve to be there with as few games as, as they played. Here's what I find so strange. Washington's entire offensive line couldn't play because of the coronavirus. Who cares? Send, Make defensive linemen play offensive line. Send your walk-ons out there. Go play the football game. You have a chance to win the conference championship game. You're just going to let someone go in your stead and possibly win the championship? How is that – what sense does that make
0: I I I know where you're coming from but also I'm insulted that you think that other players can just go play offensive line I It's the most skilled that. position Ted
1: I don't think that but I'd also I know what
0: you mean though like,
1: like don't you, do you think-, think Oklahoma would ever under any circumstance, bow out of the Big 12 championship game and let Texas go in there and try and win a conference championship? Never. There's no way.
0: In a, never in a million
1: years. Never. I don't care if they took 15 guys down there to play that football game, they would show up and they would play it with who they had and say, you know what, we tried, we didn't have our guys, but we showed up to play. There's no way – you don't let someone go try and win the championship in, in, in your – I don't know. I thought that was crazy. I
0: do love that every single offensive lineman for Washington starters, the rest of the scholarship guys, all the walk-ons, they were all out because of positive tests and contact tracing. It's like, were you guys not following any protocols? Good Lord, what was going on? on? But it it will be fun watching Keaton Slovis slinging around. That's, uh, that's why I'll watch that game. And there's nothing else on Friday night, right? Why not?
1: Hey, um, be in the hotel down there, maybe go out to have some some dinner in Dallas. So I'm excited because I'll be listening to all the other ones in the car ride home. So it'll be fun.
0: Should be good. All right, Ted, let's move on to our segments. Let's start with our winners and losers of the week. And Teddy's winners and losers are brought to you by Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs. They'll help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you. They've got all kinds of treatments for men and women. Their licensed and trained experts combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results. If you're struggling with low libido or low energy, Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs can help with that too. They also offer Botox and fillers. To get on the path to losing weight, call 918-241-LOSE or visit their Facebook page. If you mention the podcast, you will get a free fat burner injection. Okay, Ted, who do you have as your winner of the week?
1: I've got the AAC Commissioner. Okay, uh, Michael Oresko came out, strongly criticized the College Football Playoff Selection Committee for dropping undefeated Cincinnati, uh, a spot uh, behind uh, three, two-loss teams. You know, even though they're an undefeated squad, they've played eight games and uh, have looked really good along, along the way. Um, I thought this quote was perfect. He said the college football playoff selection committee is undermining its credibility with rankings that defy logic, common sense, and fairness. Could not say it any better. 100% agree. What we are witnessing is an absolute disaster of a postseason. We're going to look back at this year, this playoff, and say this is the reason we have whatever new system it is that we have, because it's total crap. Everything the committee has ever told us about any criteria, any year ever, is out the door, out the window. All they're doing is putting predetermined teams into the playoff. That's all that we're. That's all we've witnessed here. Um, Uh, Non-Power 5 teams, no matter what they do, will never have a a place at the table. It's about money. It's about fan bases. It's about getting the best matchups for money, not finding the most deserving college football champion. That's not what it's about. It's about money, and it stinks. The whole thing stinks, and it pisses me off, quite frankly. Uh, Watching these committee members and their spokesmen come out week after week, bend themselves into a pretzel and try and explain away total crap rankings. It's crap. You mentioned it with Florida. I can give you 10 other scenarios that are crap. I don't ever want to hear data points again. I don't ever want to hear strength of schedule again. I don't ever want to hear the stupid made-up term game control again. I don't ever (laughs) want to hear that crap ever again. It's BS, every single bit of it. The system college football has is an absolute joke. There is no other sport in the world where you can be in the same division as someone, go undefeated, play twice as many games, and not even make the tournament to play for a championship. It's a total disgrace to the sport. I hate it.
0: Is that all you have to say about it? That it?
1: That's it. Sorry.
0: No, no, no. Hey, I, I feel like that—that's free therapy right there, right? People usually play good money for that stuff, Ted. I.
1: Oh, it makes I, me so. I bad.
0: don't. I I get that J T Daniels is playing better than what we saw from our man
1: Stetson. Remember Stetson? I know it. That seems like six years ago, doesn't it? Oh my gosh, it seems
0: like an eternity ago that we were talking about Stetson Bennett. Stetson, but. They love Georgia, uh, and I don't know why. I, I don't know why Cincinnati, other than Georgia has recruited better players and it's a bigger name, it's the SEC, I, I don't know why Cincinnati is behind them. And I was surprised. I thought Florida was going to plummet because I, I watched a team
1: that – Yeah, because you have a brain. That's why you thought they were going to plummet. <sighs> there's the issue.
0: That, that's the issue. That's – hey, that's on me. That's on me. Okay, Ted, who do you have as your loser of the week?
1: <laughs> okay, so my loser of the week, and I've got to credit you with this. Um, you sent me the picture of James, James Harden out there in warm-ups. And
0: not Photoshop, by the way.
1: He is my biggest loser, and not because he's an actual loser. I mean, the guy makes $40 million a year to play basketball. It's that he literally needs to be a contestant on The <laughs> Biggest Loser. you want to talk about taking advantage of an offseason oh my god I don't think he has gotten off the couch since he left the bubble in Orlando and somehow here's how good of a player he is he can show up looking by far the worst he's ever looked in his entire career and still go out there and, and drop dimes and score points and hit step back threes from 30 feet but That was hilarious. He
0: looks like that dad that you may see at the YMCA where you're like, man, that guy drinks way too much beer. He's got a gut. And then all of a sudden he's out there just giving people that work with the crafty old man game.
1: All he had to do is sprinkle some gray in that beard, put on some sport goggles and some knee braces. And that would have been something special.
0: I'm, I'm so interested to see how quickly, like, the weight comes off because – They he's say still, they run,
1: like, seven miles in a game or something like that, right? Yeah, and,
0: and he's still – in the grand scheme of things, he's still a young guy, right? He's going to be running around a lot. I, I would be surprised if it doesn't come off quickly, but then again, whatever he's been doing, maybe he wants to keep doing it. So,
1: maybe maybe I mean, we get Thick like Harden this year. Uh, I mean, maybe he's decided that he's going to go down in the paint a little bit more instead of hitting the threes. I don't know, but it looks like he literally spent $250 a day on hot wings. I mean, that's what it looks like.
0: Magic city, baby. Hot wings
1: appear. Let's go.
0: Nice. All right, Ted, my winners and losers are brought to you by Sound Advice. A lot of us are watching our favorite football teams from home this year, which is why you need to get ready for game day with a home theater system from our friends at Sound Advice. Sound Advice can customize your home entertainment system indoors or outdoors. Sound Advice did the Wi-Fi network and all the audio visual at my new house, and it is awesome. They hide all the wires and cable boxes, so it looks great, and I can control every TV in my house from my phone, and my internet has been flawless. For the best home theater systems in the Oklahoma City area, call Sound Advice at 405-549-3880 or visit soundadviceokc.com. Okay, my winner of the week is a little interesting because it's Aaron Rodgers. So follow me here, Ted. Mm -hmm. Of course, he is having a ridiculously good year on the field. He's basically now in a head-to-head race with Patrick Mahomes for MVP of the National Football League. And and when you think about it, I guess State Farm is probably the real winner with that whole situation, if we're being honest. Both State Farm guys, how about that? They played that one very well. Impressive. But the Packers have got the Panthers at Lambeau this weekend. That should be an easy win for Aaron Rodgers. But the main reason he's my winner of the week, let's not forget that he is a minority owner of the Milwaukee Bucks. And they got Giannis to re-sign five years, 228 Million dollar supermax extension. It makes the weird Drew Holiday trade where they gave up so many assets worth it. It makes the Bogdanovich trade debacle seem irrelevant now. Everyone was like, oh, This is going to be the reason Giannis leaves. It all doesn't matter anymore because they got Giannis to stay in Milwaukee. This is huge for the NBA. Frankly, I think it's good for Oklahoma City in a roundabout way for maybe the next star for Oklahoma City. They see Giannis staying in Milwaukee. I know that that's probably a stretch, but it gives me hope, people. So just let me live, okay? But huge for the NBA, huge for the city of Milwaukee, and huge for possible NFL MVP Aaron Rodgers. I don't know what kind of cut he's getting from – his ownership, but they have to be absolutely thrilled that they got him to re-sign. This is huge. This, this may be the biggest thing ever for the Bucks, right?
1: Well, I mean – They won a
0: title, I think.
1: It, yeah, it's, been, it's the biggest thing in a long time. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But, I mean, Aaron Rodgers living right. He looked like the most disgruntled player – in the NFL for like the last two or three years. He looked totally miserable, been hurt a couple of times, uh, just did not look happy. This year, he looks happy. He's playing fantastic. Their offense looks fantastic. Their team looks great. They're going to make a deep playoff run. At least they should make a deep playoff run. You're right. He's got a chance at the MVP. State Farm is breaking the bank I don't know how much he makes a commercial but it's going to be huge and then the Milwaukee Bucks uh, get Giannis to sign for 45 plus million dollars a year just Mm. amazing how far the NBA's come in like five years it's like these contracts just exploded and I hope they can keep the revenue up to pay for it because they can't keep the revenue up to pay for it. And that, and I know they, they put in like some basically a stop loss on the salary cap to where it's not going to drop out. And, you know, they're not going to be able to make any moves with these players with the loss in revenue, but I hope the league picks up their revenue and they can support these type of contracts and still be able to put some pieces around them or else if that, that starts to shrink, $45 million is going to take up a big chunk of the salary cap, but good for them, man.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I think the NBA will be just fine. Uh, I was listening to Bill Simmons and Mark Cuban talk about the revenue situation today on Simmons' podcast, and they, they got some creative ideas, and they can always go with the nuclear option, which is, hey, just add a couple more teams to the NBA. Just yeah, expand. There you go. So there it's go. Uh, it is interesting. By the way, fun fact of the podcast: the Milwaukee Bucks won the 1971
1: championship. How about that? Seventy one. Okay. Seventy one. Now, was it Kareem that played there before he went to LA? Yeah,
0: Kareem definitely played for the Bucks. You are correct. Okay. Sir. Yeah. But I believe. And Kareem had to be on that championship team, but my dad will be so proud of me. Dad, if you're listening to this, you taught me so well as a child. He was not Kareem yet. At that point in his career, he was Lou Alcindor.
1: Alcinder, that's right. And there's no way he was on the 71 team, right? Is, he's not that old, is he?
0: I am looking at this – I can't – I did not anticipate us going down (laughs) the road of the 1971 NBA Finals on this podcast, but, yes, he was the MVP of the 1971 NBA Finals, Lou Alcindor.
1: Dang, I didn't realize he was that old. Amazing. Nice. He was legit. All right, my loser
0: of the week. It's got to be the Rose Bowl committee. I feel like these people are dealing with a lot right now because it, it seems like they've got quite the predicament on their hands and things seem to start to be getting a little weird. So there were reports earlier in the week that the ACC and SEC could possibly be lobbying to get that semifinal game moved. Now, Those reports have been refuted a little bit. Uh, I saw Greg Sankey say, yeah, we're not doing that. Now, he may be saying that, and he may be doing some other stuff behind closed doors, right? But who knows? But now the executive director of the college football playoff, Bill Hancock, is throwing out, what's the best way to describe it? Uh, Subtly passive aggressive statements uh, towards the Rose Bowl committee because He came out and said, hey, we are still planning on playing the semifinal at the Rose Bowl, but it would be awfully nice if California would relax their restrictions so the players' families could attend the game because, as right now, the players' parents can't even come watch them play in the Rose Bowl. So Hancock also said this, quote, given the realities of 2020 – We always reserve the right to make decisions as late as possible. I don't even know if that's subtly passive aggressive.
1: You know what? The way I think about that is like, (laughs) so the ACC, the SEC have already basically agreed that they're just going to play their game and call it the Rose Bowl and they're going to play it somewhere else and nobody's going to tell the Rose Bowl committee. They're just not going to show up to play the game there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't think they can play it anywhere else and actually call it the Rose Bowl. I think that's against some contracts from some of the stuff I've read. But, I mean, the Rose Bowl committee, they are trying to convince the state of California and probably Los Angeles County or, you know, whoever's controlling that thing, right, they are trying to convince a place that currently has stay-at-home orders to let a bunch of strangers come to the state of California to watch a football game. Good luck with that, Rose Bowl Committee. You're
1: going to need it. I'm telling you, that, I mean, I, I don't know if it's going to happen or not. I, all, I mean, I think they should be able to go out there and watch their kids play, but it doesn't matter what I think. You want to piss off? I don't know. Thirty million people, or however many people are in the uh, that area, the whole metro area combined, say that no, no, everyone here has to stay home. You can't do anything. You can't play sports or watch sports. You can't do anything. But yeah, come on in. It's fine. That's going to make a lot of people there angry.
0: It is going to be. It's going to be a disaster, right? Do you think there's going to be a Rose Bowl? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. New Year's Day is
1: two weeks away, right? If you're the Rose Bowl committee... Two weeks and a couple days. And nobody's going to be at the game, why the hell do you care if it's played in that stadium? Why does that even matter? Go play it in... Arizona or literally any other stadium on the planet and just call it the Rose Bowl. Everyone understands this year, right? If no one's going to be there, it doesn't matter if you're playing it in that stadium. I don't understand what the holdup is.
0: Yeah. We'll see. All right, Ted, let's move on to wet the beak. And that's brought to you by Tim Hughes custom homes. Are you looking to build your dream home? If so, Tim Hughes is the man you are looking for. Tim Hughes Custom Homes is a one-stop shop for all your home building needs. He can find you a lot. He can find you an architect. He'll find you financing. And of course, he can build your dream home exactly the way you want it. Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, Tim found my wife and me a lot. He found us an architect and built our new house. Tim and his team were so easy to work with. He is still helping us when we have questions about things around the house. He's also built several office buildings. So if your business is looking to build a custom office, Tim Hughes is your man. You can see Tim's custom builds throughout Gallardia, Nichols Hills, Oak Tree, Stone Mill, and Rose Creek. It is a great time to build the house of your dreams. For more information and to see Tim's spectacular work, visit his Instagram page at Tim Hughes Custom Homes or visit TimHughesCustomHomes.com. So, Ted, I, I, I thought about doing the Philadelphia Eagles and the Arizona Cardinals because Jalen Hurts and Kyler Murray are going to be starting at quarterback, and that was intriguing. But we have to pre- we have to pay the proper respect to the Tulsa Golden Hur- Hurricane because apparently no one in Vegas is – they're not giving them a chance. I just looked at it as of right now, Ted. These Cincinnati Bearcats are a 14-and-a-half-point favorite 14 and a half point favorite in the AAC championship game. Now, since the Bearcats, you know, they they couldn't make the trip to Tulsa, which is a little annoying because that game would have been for home field advantage in this game. This game will be played in Cincinnati. And uh, there's no doubt that Desmond Ritter and that Cincinnati team are probably going to be a little angry. After the disrespect the college football playoff committee showed them, you talked about it earlier, right? Dropping them to number nine and really not giving much of a reason why they're they're gonna be angry. Now they haven't played in a really long time, but I'm pretty excited. You look at that Tulsa defense, there are going to be some collisions between Zaven Collins and Cincinnati's running back, Jared Dokes. There, those guys are going to be thumping in this game and the Tulsa defense, they're going to have to play their best game of the season and Zach Smith and that offense, they're they're going to have to find some big plays in the passing game. They're, They're going to have to take advantage of how aggressive Cincinnati is on the back end. And logically it seems like Keelan Stokes would be the guy to make those big plays. But I don't know if this is good or not, Ted, because Is it weird that I would feel better about them covering the 14.5-point spread if they're down 14 at halftime? Uh,
1: This is the strange thing. This point spread defies the laws of possibility. Tulsa cannot lose a football game by two touchdowns. It cannot happen. Physically incapable. It's, I feel like this is some type of riddle that someone has thrown to me. Uh, Tulsa is a 14-point dog. Yet Tulsa, when trailing by two touchdowns, wins every single game. My head is trying to explode right now. Do you
0: it, think that's what Vegas is doing? Do you think why I don't th- know. that line is where it's at? Just so it puts our minds in
1: pretzels? Maybe, but I have an answer to the riddle, Gabriel. Ooh, okay. I like it. Uh, it's simple. You take Cincinnati with the first half line. You take Tulsa with the second half line. Love it. Forget the uh, forget the 14-point spread. That's a – I don't know what they're trying to do there. You, you cannot win that game or, or win that bet. It's it's weird. Something something strange happens if you take that. Uh, Cincy in the first, Tulsa in the second. That's how you do this thing.
0: Now, I, I do want to say this. I, I know we don't talk about Tulsa a ton on here, but – we have been paying attention to what they're doing. That's a good football team, it is. and and with all the disruptions they've had to be sitting at six and one and to be going to the A.C. Conference Championship game. I don't really care what happens. That that's a hell of a that that is a hell of an accomplishment by Phil Montgomery and that football team, in my yeah. opinion, and. I know this sounds cheesy, but, hey, they're making the state proud. Man, it's fun getting to see them playing a big game. I'm really excited for this one.
1: I am too. And, oh, it's so frustrating. They should have beat Oklahoma State. They're inside the 10-yard line to take the lead. They should have beat them and uh, couldn't pull it off. But uh, what a great job by them. Fantastic. That's going to be a fun football game. Uh, You know, Zayman Collins – has gone from unknown to a defensive player at Tulsa getting Heisman votes. That's the type of season that Zayvon Collins has had at Tulsa. Just unbelievable. I saw a mock draft um, just, I think, yesterday that had him as a, uh, a top 20, I think 22 pick, I think, in the first round. So what a season. Happy for him, happy for Tulsa.
0: Yeah. That's that's awesome. I hope they win that game. That I that could. would be awesome. That'd be so As fun. much
1: cool. as I'd like, you know, Cincinnati to pull off the undefeated season and make it into the college football playoff, there's no chance that the, anyone will ever allow that to happen. So give me Tulsa.
0: Yeah. Might, might as well have the golden hurricane win. I say they keep it inside the fourteen and a half, by the way. Give me the points. Give me the golden hurricane. Brain Kane, baby. Let's go. All right, Ted, let's finish up with keeping it local where we highlight what's going on in the great state of Oklahoma, and that's brought to you by Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. As schools reopen in the fall, parents wanted to provide the best possible educational experience and spiritual development for their children, so they send them to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. A one-to-one iPad setting makes McGinnis students fully prepared to continue high-level learning from home. A 12-to-1 student-to-teacher ratio guarantees no student is overlooked. In addition to athletic programs and clubs, Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. Financial aid is available. For more information, visit bmchs.org. Okay, so we saved the signing day stuff for the end because we wanted to get all the Iowa State, OU, Big 12, you know, championship game preview stuff in at the beginning. But signing day is a big deal uh, with National Signing Day, with – this December date now being signing day. It's not early signing day. It is signing day. Uh, as we're recording this, OU has the seventh-ranked class according to the 24-7 Sports Composite. Now, they are looking to add a few more big-time prospects here in the next couple of days when a few of those kids decide where they're going to go. But they've got 16 guys signed. In this class, Teddy, uh, I know that you have looked at a lot of the defensive guys, especially you, you've had a close eye on, on those guys. So I'll just kind of turn that to you. What, what guys really catch your eye that they signed in this class on the defensive side?
1: Well, I think the first guy you got to go to is Clayton Smith, the, uh, the pass rusher, probably going to be a rushbacker guy. He's out of Texarkana, 6'4", 225, 230 pounds right now. As, as a 17, 18-year-old kid, he, they think he's going to grow into that frame, be a you know 250, 255-pound edge rusher for him, uh, long arms, can run, understands how to, try to rush the uh, passer. I think he is the guy you've got to start with. Ke- uh, Kelvin Gilliam, 250-pounder uh, right now, another really good pass rusher that they like a lot. Uh, he's the kid out of Virginia, Highland Springs. Uh, really good guy there. You know, I honestly, what, with what they did on the defensive line, uh, you add in Ethan Downs there, the kid out of Weatherford, 6'4", big, strong guy that, you know, may start as like a rushbacker type, but I think he's going to end up being a hand-down defensive end. Uh, so you 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 throw him in there, the big kid, Kabongi kid from Portland, the 6'7", basketball player converted into a, an edge pass rusher Nathan
0: Rollins Kabange.
1: what a name what NRK a name. is what
0: the coaches are going with NRK no, well
1: I don't I don't blame them for that but you know we've heard from this coaching staff since they got here that they want more size they want more length they want it on the line of scrimmage at their defensive line and edge positions they want it in the secondary. And you get it in the secondary, big-time, uh, Latrell McCutcheon, big-time player, one corner, uh, the Harmon six one. They got a 6'4 safety out of Choctaw, the Mukes kid. And uh, Stutzman, the only inside backer that they took, uh, he's another kid that's big, 6'3", 6'3 He's probably going to end up being a 240, 245-pound guy that can run just all across the board defensively. Not huge numbers of, of guys signing – But I think the quality is fantastic. And you throw in Isaiah Coe, the junior college transfer uh, from Iowa Western, I think defensively just a a top-notch. They didn't go star hunting, in my opinion. They went and found guys that fit what they do. And I love – I prefer that way of recruiting than just find the best players, uh, get a Frankenstein group of guys together, and try and plug them in. I don't like that. Go recruit with a purpose, and I think that's what this defensive staff did.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm excited I'm definitely excited about the length in the secondary. You mentioned the McCutcheon kid. he's already talking trash about Texas. I like that kid' that kid has the most defensive back attitude I've ever seen. Uh, I love that. I love seeing them get a local guy like Mukes. That kid's athleticism for he's not six four, he's six three. But it's
1: okay. We can, we can say he's 6'4". List, List him as <laughs> 6'4". It's fine.
0: But I, I've seen some of that kid's basketball highlights. He is athletic as all hell. And they can teach him the technique, right? He can get more refined in the back end. Uh, Stutzman, everyone's comparing him to you. Does that make – how do you feel? Because no one ever compares people to me, right? Because rarely do you say, you know what, this recruit seems like a guy that's going to be a tight end and we're going to convert him to a center. That really doesn't happen very often. So with – because I feel like you see him, he wore number 11 in high school, he's a white linebacker, and naturally every OU fan, everybody's like, is this guy the next Teddy Lehman?
1: Well, I think he's going to be way better than I ever was. Uh, he's going to be bigger, taller. He's got really good length. You never know. I think he's a guy that, that Odom identified early on. He was a three-star prospect. Not a lot of big-name big schools were after him. Saw that he could really run, fly to the football. And, dude, I, don't, I mean, if you've seen his highlights, he lights people up. I mean, he brings the hammer, loves contact, uh, is ultra, ultra competitive. I mean, the sky's the limit. You never know, but I I feel like he he could be a really good player in this system.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting. I feel like you sell yourself short. You were like Mm. the best linebacker in college football. So, if he turns into you, it will be all right. All right, Uh, now (laughs) offensively. Right. It all starts with Caleb Williams, right? The consensus number one quarterback in this recruiting class. He did the Sooner Summit thing. Uh, He has gone all in for OU already. He's already in Norman. He's counting down the days to when he can work out with the team for the first time. I I mean, this kid seems as eager as I've ever seen a recruit. And that's a good thing. I, I think he's shown good leadership, but. You look at the talent, man. I, I didn't realize until I really dug into some of the numbers. I looked at more of his film. This kid's fast. I mean, he is – he's, he's an legit, athlete man. now. He is. I mean, he's, he's really running good. a four five forty already. Yeah. And he's only going to get faster and stronger and more explosive, Ted. That could bring a different wrinkle to OU's offense, a little more versatility because – I think the perfect version of OU's offense is a blend of what they did with Kyler and a little bit of what they did with Jalen because the QB run game is so damn hard to defend. Mm -hmm. And Caleb Williams seems like a guy that can pull something like that off. I, I look at him and I, I don't know who's going to be the quarterback next year. I would say I expect it to be Rattler because he's got a head start on the kid. I, I know everyone wants to talk about that quarterback battle that's coming up, but When I look at Caleb Williams, it looks like a guy that could maximize the creativity of Lincoln Riley. And that's a really exciting thought for me.
1: It is. And you mentioned how eager he is. Um, I don't know if you heard Lincoln Riley's press conference today. And maybe this was a well-known thing, but I had no idea that whenever they had Vandegrift committed – Caleb Williams was wanting to walk on here as the number one quarterback in a recruiting uh, cycle, which is unbelievable.
0: I think that the way I understood it, his dad and him basically were like, hey, if we think OU is the best place, we're showing up. Yeah. Yeah. Whether he's got a scholarship or not. I was like, okay.
1: That makes sense, and if I was Vandergriff and that kind of leaked back to me, I'd be like, "Uh, yeah, I'm going somewhere else too. You know, it's like I I love that he's willing to go compete, which in this day and age, you know, here's the thing. These quarterbacks spread out, don't really know how willing to compete they are. Uh, You hear that everyone wants promises on playing time and stuff like that. I love it all right, if you've already got a guy committed, I'm going to come play there. Anyways, I'll walk on and see if I can earn a spot. It. I love that. And I, lo- I love his athleticism, like you're talking about. Big arm, very capable. And I'm with you. I mean, Spencer Rattler's the quarterback, but you lose a Big 12 championship game, don't play well in a bowl game. You know how it is, man. You know, it's everyone's – last uh you know their their lasting impression of you is going to be what they saw most recently so um you know barring a disaster to the end of the season i think spencer's your guy next year but let's also not forget he got benched in the tulsa uh, the texas game too so who knows
0: that did happen that definitely amazing happened. right <laughs> now you, you look at the wide receivers they're bringing in this class billy Bowman. Mario Williams, Cody Jackson, Jaleel Jaleel Farouk, Speed. All of these guys can absolutely run. Uh, Start with Bowman, right? Out of that big program down there in Denton, Denton Ryan. uh, Just coming from a program that knows how to win, coming from a program that has high expectations. And a a lot of people have asked me, is he going to play offense or defense? And my answer to that is I don't really care because I think he's going to be successful with uh, on whichever side he chooses when he can focus on something. I, I think the sky's the limit for this kid because he is so athletic and so naturally talented, but Lincoln Riley's still the head coach and he's still calling the plays on offense. I have a feeling that he is going to see Billy Bowman who has lined up at running back at slot at wide receiver on the outside uh he is he is a returner right so you're talking punt return kick return I have a feeling he's going to see all that versatility and Lincoln Riley's going to be like you know what yeah I'm going to take that guy and put him on my side because he he is an explosive athlete Ted
1: yeah um that's, that's what I've heard. I don't know a whole heck of a lot about these wide receivers. Whenever I see that we've got highly rated wide receivers, I don't even feel like I need to look at them. I trust our recruitment of wide receivers has been fantastic. That's, but,
0: that's probably safe.
1: So the Bowman kid is who I keep hearing about, though. Keep hearing that this is the guy. They, like, if there's someone that, that turns out to be the special player – out of this group of wide receivers, it's going to be Bowman.
0: Yeah, and uh, that is no slight at Mario Williams, who is a five-star guy, right? right? And out of the state of Florida, and a lot of people in this, once again, it, you, you have people that compare these guys to successful guys in the NFL, and it is kind of silly because people are saying, you know what, Mario Williams, he he really reminds me of Antonio Brown. And I'm like, oh, Really? He reminds you right now of one of the best wide receivers in the last decade. Really? Yeah, okay. But I I get what they're saying when I watch him. Uh, The body type, right, that compact build, the elite speed. The one thing that I think is underrated about Mario Williams, his elusiveness in the stuff, the short passing game, where he's catching a slant, making guys miss, taking off. Uh, We see Lincoln Riley – come up with all kinds of creative ways to get those elusive guys, the ball in their hands, and then let them make guys miss. You talk about all the screen game that he implements for guys like that. I think Mario Mario Williams is going to be one of those guys where you look at his yards after the catch, and you're just like, oh, my gosh, it's
1: what? I think he's – He reminds me of a combination of Antonio Brown and Barry Sanders. Exactly. See, that's
0: what we've thats what we been looking for. That's the type of spot-on comparison. That's the analysis that we need right there. I, I do think he's a really talented kid, though. Explosive, elite lateral quickness, all those things. So he's going to make big plays. Cody Jackson, uh, I talked to Dennis Simmons about him. He, he comes from the same high school as C.D. Lant. So I was like, okay, well, is there going to be a C.D. comparison here naturally? And Simmons was like, this guy's faster than CD. I was like, excuse me, you said what? So you you look at more of a long stride type of guy, definitely has some room to fill out that frame. But his highlight reel is like competitive catch after competitive catch, high point in the ball, high point in the ball, and then running past guys. And I'm like.
1: Which, I mean, that's what CD's best asset was whenever he first came to OU was the ability to go up and, and make plays on the football. So, that's, yeah, that's so
0: interesting. I, I know that Cody Jackson, you know, people may not be as excited about him as they are about Bowman and Williams, but I can tell you this, the coaching staff is really excited about him. I, I know that. And then you look at Jalil Farouk. This is a guy that I'm telling you right now, he's going to be strong. I mean, this dude's carrying 200 pounds already and he, he still looks lean. I mean, this is a guy that is going to be a well-built wide receiver. One of those guys that when you walk out on the field, you see him, it's his sophomore year, and you're like, oh, that guy knows where the weight room is. He's going to be that type of guy, and you know he's intelligent. You want to know why, Ted? He committed on on his mom's birthday to make her happy. That's That's,
1: right. That's an intelligent
0: move right there.
1: Thinking but, about other people. I love it.
0: But, yeah, also already has a relationship with Caleb Williams. That certainly doesn't hurt anything. And then to round out the class, Colin Montgomery, Savion Bird, they're on the offensive line. And no one cares about offensive linemen until they get on the field. That's how it works. But Savion Bird, a guy that uh, I think – Late one, and, right? Yeah. He's, he's got good athleticism. For the position, one thing I like, you watch him on film. I look at very weird things when I watch offensive linemen. He does a good job finishing blocks, but he's got thin ankles, which someone may hear that and be like, what are you talking about? But the ability to bend at the ankle is really important in offensive line play. I also think there is a correlation between – the way that you can bend at your ankles and your overall athleticism at the position. Savion Bird looks like a guy that is going to be able to bend and move. And I think that's why Bill Biedenboe was so excited to get him to sign his letter of intent. And then Colt Montgomery, I'm going to be honest, the kid's mean as hell. He finishes guys. He's frog splashing people uh, on his highlight tape. It's fun to watch, but he, he needs to reshape his body. He has to get focused on strength and conditioning on the nutrition element of things, but the athleticism is there. Uh, He is the classic case of a dancing bear. That is exactly what he is, but he's got to take getting in shape and working on his body seriously. If he does, I like the kid's attitude. I like the mean streak. I know that's what Bill sees in him, but he is going to need to work hard in the weight room, and he seems like the kid that has the right attitude to do that. So that's all 16. How do we do? Did we fake like we know what we're talking about well enough?
1: Fake it till you make it. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Um, here's the thing about recruiting classes. Most of these guys will never see the field, right? But there's going to be two, three – five guys from here that are going to end up being big-time playmakers, uh, big-time contributors, starters, stars, whatever you want to call them. I don't know who they are, but we've got a lot of really good choices in here. So I think it was a good class.
0: Yeah, and I do like what you said. It. This is how I've been putting it. I, I don't feel like there's a bunch – There, there's any filler guys, right? Right. Where you see him, you're like, "Uh, yeah, they offered him late. Very
1: deliberate class.
0: Yeah, I agree. All right, Ted, episode 69. Nice. In the books. Let's go. We'll have a new podcast that will drop Monday morning. Hopefully, we will be recapping Oklahoma's sixth straight Big 12 championship. Or you're going to get a really sad version of me and Ted on the podcast. So it'll be It could be, be our
1: best episode one way or the other. Just us screaming. All right, just
0: a reminder you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400 and you can hear me from 3 to 5 on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio Channel 375. Hope you all have a great weekend. Until next time, we appreciate y'all for listening and do what you always do Oklahoma. Take care.